0: Welcome to the LifeSpring Church podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at LifespringChurch.us. Jesus, in the Book of Luke, said, "My house shall be called a house of prayer." My house is the house of prayer. Now I know the name of our church is is Live Church, and it's biblical. We took it from John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the lady at the well, but House of Prayer would be a pretty good name for a church. Seems appropriate. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He didn't say it would be a house of programs or a house of parties. He didn't say it would be a house of procedures, where people would come and just act like robots. It's a house where real people come with real problems to a real God and honestly and with integrity speak to that God and worship Him for all the good things He has done for who He is with expectation that His goodness will continue in their life. And if we happen to be bound by sin, you go to God's house to get your sin taken care of. If you happen to be sick, you go to God's house to get healing. If you happen to be weary and tired, you go to God's house to get strength. If you're worn out, you go to God's house to get rest. That's the beauty of going to God's house. He didn't say it's a house of partying. I mean, sometimes we have socials and get together and I don't know if we've had any crazy ruckus parties but we get together and it's not always church those things happen we we have programs we do at christmas time and other holidays we we put programs together and we do those types of things we there's procedures there's rules and things that we follow and help us be united in our goal and our vision and and what we're pursuing and trying to do, but those aren't the primary thing. The primary thing about God's house is we pray. We have pastors prayer partners every Sunday at 1030 to 1045. It's 15 minutes where we just take our mind and our heart and we get rid of everything that's happened throughout the week that may be heavy on our mind. Then we just get our mind in tune with the Lord. And then after we've had some time of personal prayer, we do prayer requests. We take prayer requests and we pray for those as a body of believers. Because we believe God's going to move and touch. I invite you to join us for Pastor's Prayer Partners. I'm praying. And if you come and pray, you can be a partner. If nobody comes and pray, it won't be Pastor's Prayer Partner. It'll just be Pastor's Prayer. I like Pastor's Prayer Partners. So join us for prayer on Sundays at 10.30. It's a house of prayer. We do prayer in the middle of our church service. Because we want to pray. On Wednesday nights when we come together at 7 o'clock for Bible study, we take the first 15 minutes from 7 to 7.15 and we pray. because everything we do is about prayer. We got to talk to God. We need we need a relationship with God. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody you never talked to? The answer is no because it's not a relationship if you're not talking to them. You may coexist in the same space, but it's not a relationship. I don't want to coexist in God's space. I want to be in a relationship with him. I want to talk to him. And the beautiful thing is. God doesn't ever get mad at you for what you talk to him about. God doesn't ever get disappointed in you because of what you're going to talk to him about. He's never surprised. Lord. It's been a hard week and I've struggled with temptation this week, Lord, and. I just need to confess to you. He doesn't stand up off his throne, look around to the angels and say, did you know this was coming? Had no idea. He's not surprised. He welcomes it because it's in those moments of honesty and integrity. Then God can begin to work on our hearts and he can take the sting of sin out of our lives. He can take the shame of faults Out of our lives. He can take the embarrassment. Of having fallen to a temptation. Out of our lives. And he restores us with hope. And promise. And the gift. His spirit. This is the beauty of prayer. And a church. Is never more like the New Testament church. Except for when we pray. The first church. That would be another good church name, the first church. We want to be like the first church. The church that was born on the day of Pentecost. You read all about that church in the book of Acts and how it spread from Jerusalem into all the areas around. And it became different congregations who were disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. Fred Hartley, in his book, "Everything by Prayer," makes the following statement: If you want to see I hit the wrong button on my iPad. If you want to see how popular, if you want to see how popular the saints of a church think their church is, you should attend the Sunday morning worship service. If you want to see how popular the saints think their pastor is you should attend an off-night service. If you want to see how popular the saints think God is, then you should attend the prayer meeting. Jesus built his church and said, My church shall be called a house of prayer. He filled his church with prayer. Now, how did he fill his church with prayer? He put people in his church that pray. Every day, the church, us, you and me, the ecclesia. Sometimes we get confused with this word church. We think it's it's four walls and a roof and a steeple and a parking lot and chairs. We use the word church for that. It's. Probably more a temple or a tabernacle or a meeting place. But the church in the Bible, the church is people, us. The church is people. It's not good grammar, but it's the truth. Church is people. Fred Hartley also wrote, God always does his new things the same old way. Have you ever been with somebody, and I'm going to be honest, I've been accused of this. you ever been with somebody who can never do the same thing the same way twice? They're always changing it up. Always doing something different. That's right. We're efficient. We're trying to find more efficiency in what we're doing. But everybody around us is like, why are you doing it that way? It worked when you did it this way. And I know the expected outcome is going to happen because we already had it once if you just do it this way. God doesn't look for new ways to do new things in our lives. God will do the new thing in our life the same way he's been doing things in people's lives. And how does he do that? By prayer. When we pray. When we surrender and submit ourselves to God in prayer. Did you know prayer is a humble act? It's an act of humility. Prayer is saying, God, you're important enough that I will take time off my calendar and spend it with you. Prayer is saying, I will take the most precious commodity to the human being, time, and I will give it to God. You could give a big offering and then work overtime next week and make up for that. But if you take time and give it to God in prayer, there's no way for you to recoup that time. That's because you're making a sacrifice. You're giving God something that's of the most value. You're giving him a commodity of yours that is limited in supply And you think he's valuable enough that I will give that commodity to him. Time. Lee Stone King said, every failure in life is a prayer failure. It's a sobering thought. Maybe if I'd have prayed about it, it would have went different. If I wasn't sure about it, I probably should have prayed again until I was sure about it, until I heard a, a yes from God. You tell you this about prayer. God doesn't always answer yes. There are some people that will pray and beg for God until he relents. And he says okay, but he didn't say yes. And there are some people that never pray and wonder why God never said yes. And then there are some people that prayed one time and God didn't answer, so they take that as God didn't care, so they just go do it anyway. We should pray until we get a firm, affirmative yes from God. Sometimes God says no. And if he says no, then we move on. But sometimes God doesn't answer. Has somebody ever asked you an awkward or a personal question and you didn't know how to answer it? And you were just stunned and silent? Now, God isn't shocked or stunned by our prayer requests, but I think his reaction may be the same. He's just quiet because he knows he can't answer that question yet. He can't answer that prayer yet. Things aren't lined up yet. He's still working on it. We sing the song... Even when we can't see it, he's still working. That means somebody's behind the curtain putting all the pieces together so that they can reveal the master plan to us. He's still working on us. We would have less failure in our life if we had more prayer in our life. Who wants to be successful in 2020? It is 2022. Who wants to be successful in 2022? More people. Nobody raised their hand to go back to 2020. Everybody's like, nope, it's over, ain't going back. We're done with 2020. You're going to go to 2020 on your own. Okay, we'll do it again. 2022. We all want to be successful in 2020. I want to be successful in 2020. Set yourself up to succeed in 2022. Pray. Find a place to pray. We must not allow others to be intimidated in our prayers. But what if someone hears me praying a big prayer? That's all right. Maybe your faith in praying your prayer encourages them to pray a bigger prayer than what they're praying. Well, they may think my prayer is crazy. Well, they may not know the size of your need. They may not understand the depth from which you're praying. I'm reminded of the lady, Samuel's mother, who went to the temple to pray. And she fervently interceded that God would heal her barren womb and give her a child. And she prayed to such an extent that the priest thought she was drunk. He didn't understand the magnitude of her need. He didn't understand how desperate she was to get a hold of God in that moment. There may be times you have a need that others don't understand. But just because they don't understand, it doesn't shrink my need. It doesn't limit my ability to talk to God. I should still pursue Him with radical prayer. I should still pursue Him with everything that I have. The omnipotent God, the all-powerful God that we pray to doesn't understand degrees of difficulty. God is not sitting in heaven with a filing cabinet. My kids won't even know what I'm about to talk about. A card catalog like in the library. This big old long drawer, this is all the easy prayers. We'll answer those on Mondays. And this here, we'll catalog all the, the hard prayers. And over here, we'll catalog all the super difficult, nearly impossible prayers. And God doesn't walk around and choose, well, is today an easy day, a hard day, a difficult day to answer a prayer? That God doesn't understand degree of difficulty. Well, he just doesn't understand my need, how difficult it is, how hard it is, how complex it is, how burdensome it is. God just doesn't understand my prayer. Hold on a second. It's not hard for God to answer your prayer. I mean, how hard is it to speak into nothing and create everything? He figured that out. He can figure out your need. If he can create everything that exists then He can answer your prayer. I know I'm repetitive with this statement, but the only prayer that never gets answered is the prayer we never pray. So pray your prayer and watch God do what only God can do. Have faith enough to believe that if I ask the omnipotent God of the universe To meet my need that he will. And he will. The only measurement that there is for our prayer is our faith when we pray. There are times I always harken back to as a child or even my kids. They've had these moments where where you have something you want to ask your parents for. And, and you already have a preconceived idea, as you're approaching them, what their answer is going to be. You already have a measure of faith. You already believe, to some extent, whether the answer is yes, no, maybe, or well, wait and see. I wonder how many times we go to God with a preconceived idea, well, God's answer is going to be no. But I'm going to ask, just so I can make God tell me no. No, no, no. Pray your prayer with expectation. You're not asking somebody with limited resources. You're not asking somebody who has good days or bad days. You're not asking somebody who's going to try and reason out all the reasons why you should or shouldn't or can't or won't. You're asking somebody who is your heavenly father and it's his will to bless you and to give to you good gifts to his children. He has a predetermined end for you. A gifting that he's put into your life. Blessings he wants to bless you with. He has an end in mind for you. So go ahead. Pray your prayer. My pastor Stan Gleason says this. The size of your prayer determines how big your God is. Do I have a God that can make sure I get the paycheck that my employers already promised me this week? Or do I have a God that's going to help me a financial need that I just don't know how it's going to happen? But I've been faithful to him, and he said if I'm faithful to him, he'll supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Do I, do I serve a God that I know is well enough to heal me from the sniffly cold that I've had every, t- every winter for my whole life? Or do I serve a God that's, that's big enough? That his hand will work in my life if I have cancer or some other disease in my life where I know God's hand will work. The size of our God is determined by the size of our prayer. In other words, how big you believe God is determines how big your prayer will be. God's big enough to bring unprecedented revival to LifeSpring Church. Okay, we're going to have to slip back in the last Sunday. Let's try it again. Need the amen corner, help me out today. God is big enough to bring unprecedented revival to LifeSpring Church. God is big enough to heal sick people at LifeSpring Church. God is big enough to deliver oppressed people and possessed people at LifeSpring Church. God is big enough to free those who are in bondage at LifeSpring Church. God is big enough to save the lost at LifeSpring Church. God is big enough to strengthen the weak at LifeSpring Church. God is big enough. He's big enough It's with this confidence, this faith in our prayer, that we look at this idea of being a house of prayer. When you begin to survey the scriptures, you see this first church or the early church, they understood prayer was vital to their existence. Many times, when you see the early church in scripture It's because they were in prayer. Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God. When Peter was in prison, the church prayed. James chapter 5 and 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. What did they do at church when there were sick people? They prayed for them. And they were healed. Acts 14 and 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. What did the church do to their elders? They blessed them. How'd they bless them? With prayer. Acts 1 and 24. They prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. When it came to make decisions, what did the early church do? They prayed. They prayed first and asked God to help them to choose. Acts 4 and 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken when they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. When the church began to pray, signs and wonders followed their prayer. Acts chapter 6 and verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. This was when Paul was commissioned to become a missionary. They appointed ministry leaders through prayer. They didn't just take resumes and see if you'd, how many times you've done this or where you've been involved in all of your gifts, skills, and talents. And we like gifts, skills, and talents. But you've got to have an anointing on your life if you're going to do the work of God. And they prayed over these men. Before they commissioned them or appointed them to ministry. Acts chapter 8 and verse 15. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. What happens when you pray for people? They can be filled with God's spirit. We're talking about what happened in the early church. Everything they did was covered, was surrounded, was engulfed in prayer. Acts chapter 9 and verse 40. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turned him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Dead people come back to life. What would happen if you prayed for somebody that died and they came back to life? We feel feel inadequate at that question. Well, God would never use me to do that. Know what that question is? That question challenges our faith. Oh, I can pray and believe that that God will heal somebody. I can pray and believe that God will fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. I can pray over somebody that God will anoint them. I can pray and believe that he'll bless the elders. I can pray for somebody who's sick and believe that God will heal them. But what happens if God calls you to pray for a dead person? We're still living the book of Acts. We are not a new church. We are a continuation of the church. We're not a daughter church of the church that Jesus Christ planted. We're not a a split off of the church that Jesus Christ planted. We're not an offspring of the church that Jesus Christ planted. We are the church that Jesus Christ planted. And His church is still alive and well in the world today. Signs, wonders, and miracles are still happening in His church today. And if we would just encourage ourselves a little bit in the Lord... And build up our faith. And have a little bit of confidence in the God that we serve. He can do the miraculous in our lives. Acts 13 and 3. And when they had fasted and prayed. And laid their hands on them. They sent them away. Again people were called into ministry. Because of prayer. Acts 16 and 25. You guys think I'm going through the whole book of Acts don't you? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Sometimes it doesn't matter where you're bound up or who's around you. If you want free, you'll praise God. If you want free, you'll find the words to pray when you're ready to be liberated. And what happens when we pray? God brings deliverance. Acts 21 and 5, and when they had accomplished these days, they departed, went their own or went their own way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. They prayed for protection as they were departing from each other as a farewell. They prayed. They prayed when they came together. They prayed while they were together. They prayed when some weren't with them because they were in bondages or sick, or ill, or for whatever reason. They prayed when they commissioned others to go do what they were doing. And they prayed when they left each other's company. The church was surrounded, encapsulated, engulfed. Everything they did was about prayer. They lived what Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. The point is well made that the first Christians understood that understood that every place they went, every service that they had, every meeting that they got together, even their entire life was to be covered in prayer. I want to look at this incident where Jesus walks into the temple. He sees the money changers. He sees them conniving. He sees them betraying one another. Dishonest in their business affairs. Oh, there's no need for you to to raise sheep or to have a good sheep. Just come to the temple. We already have good sheep that you can buy. And so you would walk into the temple courtyard and you would buy a, Nice sheep. And you'd take that sheep, that nice sheep to the priest. And the priest would say to you that he are going to offer this sheep up. And you would leave that sheep with the priest for him to do the duty of the priest. And offer that sheep on your behalf. And what would the, sheep, the, the, the uh, priest do? He would cheat you out of a good sheep. He'd take that sheep and run it back around to the front. And he'd grab another sheep out of the pen and sacrifice it on your behalf. They sold the same sheep over and over and over and over and over again. They were being dishonest in their dealings with one another. Hold on. Jesus walks into this scenario. His house where there's dishonest worship. Nobody's praying. It's all about the best deal of the day. I wonder how much sheep are going for today. Should I sacrifice on Monday or Thursday? What's day is going to have cheaper sheep? It all became about the bargain. Let me tell you just. I just have to say it. Serving God will never be found on the discount rack. If you want to live for God, don't go to the clearance aisle. Living for God is full price with full benefits. Living for God is not a return that's half broken and scratched up and messed up and dented. You won't find good God on the nicks and dings aisle. You find God full price when you pay everything for him. When you're willing to give your all to him. Completely different message. Jesus walks in. It's Palm Sunday, the Sunday before his resurrection. He sees the money changers. He sees the dishonesty that's happening in the temple. He begins to flip over the tables. He begins to scatter their money. He begins to shoo them out. He says, my house is a house of prayer. Shall be a house of prayer. He hearkens back to the prophetic word of Isaiah. We read this story and we we see the, the, the big point, the main point of the story. Jesus wants us to pray. But don't miss the just as significant point in this story. Isaiah said, there's going to come one who walks into the house and says it's a house of prayer. God's going to walk into his temple and call it a house of prayer. And Jesus walks into the temple and says. Somebody's going to walk in here and call it a house of prayer. No. He says my house. Is a house of prayer. The moment Jesus uttered these words. He confessed to them in their hearing. I am the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. I am Messiah. My house shall be called a house of prayer. My house. He took possession of the temple that day he said it's mine i live here i live where people pray the old testament you've heard the axiom or the statement that god dwells in the praises of his people well he lives in the house where people pray Something very important happens. God identifies himself. He connects himself to the temple. This is important. Because we don't go to the temple in the same manner as they were doing in this story. We don't have to go to the temple and, and offer a sacrifice and hope a priest can. Go behind the veil where the presence of God is. And, and he alone experienced the presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. It says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, he shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy holy. Which ye are. Let's read this in the ESV version, the English Standard Version. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Can I tie these two verses together today with this statement? If God lives in a house where people pray, are you a house of prayer? God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He said that standing in the temple. The physical building that was known to the Jewish people as a temple Has been translated to us now being His temple. We understand that we are now the temple of God. His spirit lives and dwells in us. God should be able to walk into my heart. Into my spirit. And just as boldly declare. My house is a house of prayer. But sometimes God walks into our houses. Us. And he sees dishonesty and he sees the money changers and he sees the sin. He sees the conniving. He sees the self-justification or the self-righteousness. He sees how we try to wheel and deal our way. And sometimes he has to turn over the tables in our hearts. And sometimes he has to boldly make a fresh new declaration to us. Hey, remember, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I've been through the spiritual birth. I've repented of my sins and asked God to forgive me more than once. But that one day was a significant day because not only did I ask Him to forgive me of my sins, but I committed in my spirit and in my heart and with my words to God that I'm turning away from the life I've been living and I'm going to walk towards God. I was then buried Just like Jesus was buried in a tomb. Except I didn't go in an earthly tomb. I went in a watery tomb of baptism. And when I went in that water, all of my sin was cleansed. The blood, the powerful blood of Jesus Christ washed my black heart and made it as white as snow. And I came out of that water, risen as a new creature in Christ Jesus. And I was filled with his spirit, just like the day of Pentecost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. This was my new birth experience, just like John 3 and 5 tells us. We must be born again of water and of spirit. This is the moment, the time, the place where I became resident or the residence of God. He became resident inside of me. God backed up his moving truck and moved right on in. And I had the front door wide open and I was standing on the porch welcoming him in. And the question then is, is God going to hang a banner on his front door? Could he hang a banner on his front door? And would that banner say, this is my house. And this house is a house of prayer. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.